You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and I'm at home. Even though I live abroad, I'm in County Galway, so I'm definitely at home um, in Barna, in the woods close to Silver Sand, and I have the honour and privilege of walking through the woods with Johnny Doohan. And uh, Johnny is a poet, songwriter, author, and uh, producer in the music industry and in life. Johnny, thanks a million for agreeing to have a chat. Well, thanks for asking me now, Austin. You know, we've been in touch many times and I've sent you CDs, but uh, it's good to meet up in the flesh, so to speak. It, it is indeed. And in a, such a nice place as Barna Woods. What's the, and in what's the puddles there? And, and in Culture I know you're a Limerick man. Huh? I am, yeah. That's you're a Limerick man. You're a transplant. Well, I, le- I, le- I, le- I, le- I left there when I was 15, you know, <laughs> with a rock band, strangely enough. Grand, uh, that was Granny's intention, so. That's it. Right. Where in Limerick? Uh, right in the heart of the, of the city, right off O'Connell Street. Right. And, uh, yeah, so Wolf, when, you were grown, when you were growing up then, um, what was Limerick like? Because Limerick has gone through many changes. Oh, yeah. It was right. everywhere in Ireland. Well, that's it. It had a terrible bad reputation. It was once called Stab City. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, these, this, these kind of names get cast on, on the city, but they're there was a very dark element in the city uh, which had kind of been taken care of I think up to a, to a degree at this stage you know uh, and uh, Limerick was a busy port very and very fine, busy fine stand out the road that's right in fact that's where probably my song The Voyage comes from right because uh, my father was a sailor and I used to go I have very happy memories of being a kid going down there out to find no no but down to, down to the docks in, in, in Limerick right. down to the docklands uh, waiting for my old man's ship to come in you know right and uh, in fact and, and the voyage is very much a love story well it is it's about family you yeah. know uh, the metaphor being you know the sea it's, it also comes from the fact that I loved uh, anything to do with the sea I used to love uh, Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson right. the book that really gripped me when I was a kid. Right. That and Moby Dick. So if <coughs> you would say Limerick was the inspiration, when actually did you write the voyage? Um, I wrote it actually in uh, Missy. It was uh, it was in the 80s sometime. In fact, it's, it's, it's 30 years old this year. Or th- it's, in fact, it's 30, I'm wrong. Christy Moore launched it 30 years ago. Right. This year. Right. But I, I wrote it the year before, which right. means it's 31 years old. So Same year we went to Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Strangely. <laughs> 1988. Yeah. Yeah. Was that 1988? No. Yeah, we, we emigrated in 1988. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And so it was around then, you know. I, I remember I wrote it at the same time that I wrote another song called After the Dream, which Dolores Keane recorded and, and it went into a film. Right. Uh, in fact, I, I got the commission to, to write all the music for a film called Reefer and the Model, which was about a Galway port and a gang of crooks, XIRA men, who uh, have a, uh, there's a bank robbery in it. And, uh, but uh, <coughs> you know, things started picking up for me at that stage after a very long time of struggling to get find my own voice as a songwriter, you know. And find your voice as a <coughs> songwriter is completely different than someone who's a singer. Oh, yeah. Find your voice found. But 
we're now coming on to the busy barn road. Yeah, we'll be we'll, 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 we'll pause for a second. We're on the busy barn road. We'll be off, even though it's September. We'll be yes. off this again now. We in fact, we'll go in this way and we'll yeah. go up, up this little narrow road. It's busy because Galway's always a great place to visit. Yeah. I noticed there's um, these bicycles out here, just from a tourist perspective. These bicycles that you can pick up and, and yeah. go off anywhere. Yeah. So it means I guess you can from downtown or from Stalls Hill pick up bikes and cycle out here. Yeah. Walk through these beautiful woods. Yeah. So anyway, as I said, so as a songwriter, um, being discovered is a big, bigger challenge than somebody who has a voice. Well, it was for me because when I when I was 21, the band I had been with, Granny's Intentions had already been one of the first rock bands to leave Ireland uh, after Van Morrison and his crew, them at, at the stage. Yeah. Uh, and we did very well in, in England, you know, we played, with the manager of the famous Marquee Club took us over. Right. And we, were, I mean, we had a great record deal with Decca Records. DRAM records, it was called, the Procol Harm were on it, yeah. Moody Blues. Yeah. You know, we were in at the top, really, you know. Right. And uh, we had a great career, short career, but I lost total interest in the rock business myself. And by the time I was 21, I, I kind of knew which direction I wanted to go in, and it had nothing to do with the rock area, you know, it was folk music. And so had you written anything for the rock? <coughs> Oh, I had, yeah, there's, a, there's one album that the grannies brought out called Honest Engine. Right. And uh, most of the songs on that were mine. And there there was a few others by uh, the keyboard player called John Ryan. Oh, he was with the Hillbillies at one stage. Was he? No, no, a no, different, different, John, different John, Ryan. John Ryan. Okay. But, uh, but John's songs actually would have been better than mine at that stage because right. I had a lot more musical experience than I had, you know. Right, right. Uh, <coughs> so... When I left them, I, I had my sights then set on becoming a real songwriter and trying to find my own way of, of doing it. And it took a long time because uh, a lot of people, when they start out, they kind of spend a lot of the time imitating other people. Well, doing covers. Well, it's not just and, that, but even, even trying to cover the style as well. That's it. You, you become over-influenced by various people, you know. Right. I remember a, a songwriter came to me one day. Actually, he was writing as well for a magazine in Dublin. And he said, uh, before we do the interview, and it was a big interview, it was actually with, um, what's the name of it? McGill Magazine. Right, I remember that. <coughs> it was... Uh, and he said, uh, will you listen to my songs first? It'd be interesting to do. And I listened to them, you know, and I'm, I, I'm always very honest with people, you know. Yeah. I said, here, read this poem, because I, I don't want to be telling you what, by Robert Graves. And basically, it was the, it was the apt name for it, because, over there. because the, <coughs> the, the poem was about a grave, a man standing by a grave, and he, he's exchanging himself for the man that's in the grave. Right. In other words, he's taken on the guy's personality and given up his own. Right. So he got it straight away. He said, okay, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. He said, I said, and I'll even pinpoint the people that you're listening to. Yeah. And I, I, I mentioned a few names and he said, yeah, I'm very influenced by them. I said, yeah, well, yeah. stop listening to them because you're too influenced by them. Right. right. You know, you sound like them. Yeah, yeah. 
so he took it on the chin and then actually wrote a very good article and didn't didn't try and get his own back or anything well and again that's I suppose you know and I know at this stage in life that's a sign of maturity well that's it uh, a good guy yeah. Paddy Kyo actually his name oh, right. he, was, he was writing for the RT guy then for years right so when you ventured into the folk scene um, it often would and certainly back then it would not have been looked on as a commercial area of the music business in the same way as the no. show band scene or the rock scene no no it would not uh, although it was very popular at one stage you know I mean and Dylan was very popular yeah. when he started out he was folk you know so there was a side of it and I, I always wanted to bring in some kind of modernity into it like you know I didn't want it to be just copying the old folks you know when I say folk I mean generally about people you know what I mean right. that's what well, folk music is to me folk music is also something that's contemporary yeah, yeah. whereas a lot of what was folk <coughs> a hundred years ago yeah it's not now in the same yeah. sense it does tell a story but yeah, yeah. and I, I, I certainly wasn't traditional in, in that kind of sense you know they're very precious about their keeping it yes you know yeah because I, I remember before we emigrated in the year you wrote The Voyage the last concert we went to was a Mary Black concert in Tullamore oh yeah and at that stage she was doing very well and she had Nadine out there and without the fanfare and some yeah. of those things and she had recorded a couple of my songs as well in fact yes. she was one of the first to record it it gave me a bit of a break you know a song called Trying to Get the Balance Right right and uh, another one called There Is A Time yep. which I went down later and wrote a book with the same title first part one of an autobiography I wrote right but uh, <coughs> no it was it, it took years like to, to try and hit on the to get my own voice and the first song I actually knew that I had it was uh, and, and, and about 20 other songs came with it was just another tone right and uh, once I got that one I said Jesus I have it and, and I knew then Johnny unlike a lot of other things what you're doing is looking inside yourself when you're writing yeah so when when you say you knew you had it it was new you at that time must have felt that you had successfully connected with a part of yourself well that's it and how I did it was and there's no secret about it uh, I tried to write an autobiography and it failed right. after about four or five months I didn't have enough experience of writing prose at the time you know okay. even though I had written a lot of songs uh, <coughs> but it was it was very scattered it wasn't it wasn't the way it should be but from all the poking around in my head from old old time you know going into the mind not only into the mind but into the mind of the mind and thinking about uh, where I grew up and all that kind of stuff I went pre-rock stage if you get, yeah. if you get me it was, I just reflected a lot on on growing up in Limerick there's an old adage by uh, Pascal that youth returns us or there's wisdom in youth and, and that's I, I can fully see where it, where it was coming from because I was co so confused after spending so many years in London in the so-called swinging 60s that I didn't know where I was because the simplicity of, of childhood and, and that's it. it's been taken away at that point well it's, if you reconnect with a, 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 a part of your personality that kind of got diluted out along the way you know and uh, I think anyway you know and uh, so I just focused in on, on all the events and the people who had uh, 
a big impression on me when I was growing up. So, and, and certainly I had 20 or 30 songs, you know. To Would you say that the field was more fertile <coughs> then? By that I mean, when you just say you focus in on people and your surroundings, that have we become, as a, as a society, not just, um, in, well, in the Western world, where we have become so isolated and clinical in everything that when the kids of the day get to our age they won't have the same school of hard knocks in a way yeah well I'm, I'm sure they will you know in, in, some, a, different in, in a different way well, the, the hard knocks will come like yes. you know as I keep reminding my kid my kids you know I mean if things are good now it, financially in Ireland you know what I mean they're all working they have good times you know yeah, but, but out of the blue you know, we could be back. Right, but you and I grew up in a time where you literally went outside the door and you ran up and down the streets and everyone knew who you were, all the yeah, parents yeah. on the street. And you knew yeah. who everyone else was. Yeah. With that, I no. mean, that's not the way anymore, even in rural Ireland. Yeah, but it wouldn't be like that in America either. So no, in Canada, but same time, yeah. everything is scheduled. Yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you want to, like, play dates are scheduled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everybody is, you know, parents are afraid to let their kids out anyway because there's so much. And there probably always was danger well, out there. Well, so that's what I mean. So when I say, like, is the ground that's fertile in that our growing up experience was, using a modern term, was more organic? Yeah, well, certainly. Uh, and what is, what, you know, I'm just about to finish reading a fascinating book on, uh, Shakespeare of the, by what's her name Asquith I think her name is right shadow play about she, she she reckons that most of Shakespeare's plays because he was born at the time of the um, he was born at the time of the uh, the English Reformation you know just after it and she thinks a lot of his plays were written as cover. There's all sorts of messages going out today. She maintains that he was a Catholic at a time when you didn't want to be. You, you could get your head chopped off for being a Catholic right. in England. Right. You know? So a bit <coughs> like what was going on here with what would have been the... It would have been the... At the, at the time it would have been the... And all that it would have been the exact same, you know? I mean, yeah. they were doing the same thing in England as they were doing here, like, you know? So the... I mean, they almost wiped, they wanted to wipe out the Catholic population in England. Yeah. That yeah. was their, that was the motivation behind them, you know, Queen Elizabeth. So, getting back to the, the career and the songwriting and the, the books and the uh, poetry, you were performing as well? Uh, I, I've never put that much, I, I've often said it like that, uh, for me, um, I, I was hoping we'd come down here and have a free thing, but we can uh, stand around here. Oh, I'm fine. I'm happy to keep walking if you are. Yeah, well, well we'll keep walking down to the end, and then we'll turn back. Yeah, it doesn't matter that it's a law bogey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it but might you know, be a grand soft day, but there's someone out there swimming at the moment. There is, and they're all, you'll always find someone swimming there, even in the, in the dead of winter, like, you know, how they do it, I don't know. I, I was down here a number of years ago, before my mum passed away, and I drove down and I think it was November yeah. and there were some people in swimming and surfboarding yeah. uh, and it was a day a bit like today yeah. was, uh, very great and yesterday was lovely you know yesterday you? was lovely yeah yeah so anyway the um, so performing you would have put as kind of the 
the junior part of the day. Well, you know, a strange, be part a, of a, a strange thing happened uh, 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 just to illustrate the difference uh, between songwriting and gigging, you kind of. And I remember when I wrote The Voyage and I gave it to Christie, and he was, he was, he hadn't yet brought it out, and I went to a gig of his, and I was just going into hospital at the time for an ulcer operation. And he wrote to me after he knew this, you know, and he said, uh, he just explained that the reason he had taken off, he felt, in the gig line, yeah. was because he put all his focus on that, like, you know, that was his main focus, right. getting out, doing the gigs, whereas I had told him that my main focus was trying to come up with songs of value, you know, and, and uh, I needed to to sit at home and work through very hard like at that right. and, and the more I went out the less I could write right. so some people some people can do both so do you then take on um, when you're in a creative period or create do you like set yourself a structure uh, no it, it, it kind of, what happens is I'm kind of almost taken over by the, the, the you know what I mean it's, it, it's, it's not like it's not some kind of magic thing that happens first of all you have to work for years yeah listening to music reading poetry thinking about your situations that you want to write about and, yeah and then suddenly like like that collection that you, you, you'll probably listen to on your way home yeah I mean what set that off basically was uh I was walking through the woods one day and I saw this big tree came down and I associated myself with the tree in a way right you know yeah because uh, things were going pretty bad it was after all these things that had happened as you'll read in the story there's a story in a book the, the voyage I brought out called creation right and it goes into how I came to, to write the song, not only the songs but how I go about creating works like you know and it's it's, 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 it's as organic as a tree growing kind of you know that yeah because I hear some writers and they, they say that they have to get up in the morning and they go down to their studio and they sit down and they have allocated from 10 o'clock to 1 o'clock well I do that every day you know but okay. the thing is and if you didn't do that then you're not going to tap into it at the time you know right right. if you want to get a car we can if you want to sit in the car we oh, can we do can sit in the car too That's so we can go for a coffee if yeah. you like yeah huh? uh, we can or, we we or else we can go into Gal you can go into Galway or go to Barna. I think Barna be nice. We go to Barna, and what we do is if we, will we bring the two cars, or we just go and walk. Well, I don't have another car. Oh, so My car is at home. You're I with me. I walk down. Good for you. That's and then <laughs> if you drop me back at the church there, I yeah. walk the rest. I go through fantastic. the woods. Fantastic. That all right? That's that's the seven jobs after. So I'll put it, I'll take a break here, and we'll play a bit of music. Yeah. What should I play? Ah, sure. After you could, you could, or maybe we should play the voyage. Yeah, I'd play the voyage. You yeah, know, that's the one everyone voyage. knows. Yeah. You know, seeing as we're on the edge of the Atlantic Ocean. Well, that's and it. I saw a, a sailboat out there earlier on, before the mist came down. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Johnny, we've come indoors, and it's not a little bit uh, less of a wind in here than there yeah. is out there. And going to the writing, you started. You say you started uh, your first attempt at an autobiography, uh, but that 
I guess you would say you, you, you recognize you didn't have the life experiences at that point. Well, it wasn't the life writing experience. The writing experience. I didn't right. know how to write properly, and I didn't know how to string the words together right. for long. But you could string them in song, but not. Oh, I could, well, it, it, you know, the, the songwriting has been brilliant in many ways because it's taught me how to condense things down. You know, right. you've only got three verses, like in a song, or four verses. In fact, I've discovered there's one song I wrote called "The Beacon." Right, and it is about I forget now how many at first, but it's a very long lyrics song, like right. you know. Uh, it's one of my favourites actually, and it's about climbing a, a kind of a, it's the mountain everybody has to climb in life, kind of you know. But it comes from uh, the one out near Kylemore Abbey. Oh yeah, right, yeah. You know that. Yeah, that I know the one out there. Big hill at the back of it, behind the it. National Park, is it? Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of outside the national. It's it's actually I forget the name. It's right across from the Diamond, which is another mountain or a big hill out there. You know. Right. Uh, in fact, we're in the the Pins now Hotel. This is the Pins, you know. So, right. so that's the, the the spread of mountains out there. Uh, but that song, it I, I learned how to condense. You know, that in the old days, like you, you could have fifty yes, verses. I'm going like to sing an Irish song that's got but forty-seven it, verses. But the thing is, if you try to if you try to get away with that today, you would, you know people would string you up almost. Okay. You know. Well, and the other thing, as you know, is you won't get airplay. No, no. So I managed to condense the whole thing down to less than three minutes, but right. there's about seven verses in it, and right. they're long verses. You know. <laughs> but the way I did it was musically. I, I, I p- pulled something out of the hat that yeah. Martin O'Connor is playing on it with me. If you ever right. have, a, have, have a listen to it. Right. Well, so you, but you've um, now got, at this stage in your life, you're, uh, you've launched or you're having an official launch of the autobiography. No, I had that already. Uh, I, I had that already earlier. Because right. I was, in fact, I was supposed to launch it two years ago okay. in Clifton. Right. And that's why I'm going back. Uh, in a few weeks. Next week, isn't it? Or the week after? The week is week uh, after. But, uh, yeah, I was supposed to launch it then, and right at the, just coming up to the gig, uh, the publisher pulled out. He gave me an alternative. He said, drop three chapters, because uh, they were frightened. There's, 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 in fact, there's four or five chapters about a legal case that I took uh, against, you know, remember the band, the Irish Tenors? Uh, yeah, that would have been. They were, um, were yeah. very big in America, yeah. and it, yeah, yeah. Know, they had they brought out an album there, one Paddy's Day, with all these Irish songs in it. Yes, and the voyage happened to be one of them, you know. Right. And they thought that they were boasting in the Irish Times that the or the the the, the Sunday Times that uh, they sold 1.5 million. So I I passed it off what I was owed from it because nobody ever contacted me about it. Right. And uh, I came to the conclusion that I was owed about roughly 70,000. And at the time that I was expecting my first paycheck or royalty check, um, I got notification from a receiver telling me that one of the companies involved had gone bust and they were taking the hit for the whole thing and I shouldn't expect to get any royalties. So, to cut a long story short, I hired a solicitor, went after them. Five years later, they made an offer of 50,000. Okay. All in, which meant I had to pay my solicitor out of it. Right. My solicitor didn't want me to accept, so he went against me uh, and wouldn't cooperate with me. 
and I ended up having to take him to a tribunal, right. going into the High Court myself and settling the case and getting him my 50 grand. Right. Uh, and at the same time, I had to take him on in the tribunal, and I beat him as well. Right. So I came out of it all right. And right. Uh, that, 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 that all that's in the, the my right. biography. No, that, that raises the whole issue again. We see the performer out there, and the, the performer, particularly the successful performers, um, that are well able to fill the, the venues. Be it a, a Christy Moore or a Daniel O'Donnell or a Sinead O'Connor, some of the ones that Nathan Carter in this day and age. And they're getting the money at the door. For the writer of the song and the royalties, um, can you be sure? And obviously you can't, I suppose, that you you're, can't get, be you're, you're getting your fair share. You can't be a hundred percent sure, but the more control you hold over your copyright, the more sure you, you can be, you know? Right. But what's to stop? And I'm, I'm going to draw attention to another songwriter because I've seen the fields of Athen Rye on CDs. First of all, I've seen it spelled A-T-H-E-N-R-Y-E, two words, Athen Rye, and put down as traditional. Mm. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, I was in, I was in touch with Pete St. John a few years ago. But I never asked him exactly what his copyright thing was. Right. But I've, I've discovered from a lot of people that they made very bad deals. And right. And well if I you make a bad deal, it's very hard to get out of it. And, and, and I'm thinking more in terms of you get an awful lot of performers, performers out there and they would be performing your songs. Because mm. your songs are well known. Like, um, as we talked about the boys particularly. Mm. And that would be on the, uh, let's even put it in the, the pub circuit. In so far as you've been, oh, well, I, I do. I get, I get, I get a fair bit of royalties. It keeps me going. In fact, in fact. right. That and another song called "Don't Give Up," to the, which the Dubliners recorded. Yeah, because I know, like I pay Stokan, which is the the Canadian equivalent of yeah. Imro, mm. for royalties. Uh, but I'm saying in a way that. You know, and I know if I was to bring in somebody, I have to get a, a SOCAN license. If I brought you in to perform in Canada your own songs, I have to get a SOCAN license. Mm. Mm. Um, but I'm saying that there's so much performed out there in pubs and by at concerts and just mm. in, a, in a, a lot of public domains. Relative to the performer, it's not a lot harder for you to keep tabs. Harder, it's very hard. But the thing is, there are associations that you can become a member of. You know right. what I mean? And they. They do it as, as much as they can, you know. But like in America, for instance, in America, a lot of places don't pay any royalties, you know. Right. I mean, I, think, I, I don't know exactly what it's like now, but we were trying to get it changed. Imro had been trying to get it changed for years. The fact that I think it's only 20 or 30 big gigs that pay royalties, you know, right. which is mad. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the other ones don't pay. And then the, the, the Americans are so strong and vociferously against paying royalties, you right. know what I mean? That, uh, because again... This I remember I, it, come, it used to come up every year at, at the annual G AGM for IMRO, and I used to go. Yeah. And I remember I was there one year with Tom Moore, and two of us stood up, and I said, look, what happens like if you, if you actually win this eventually and you get the thing? Will, will, retrospectively, will we be paid for all the money we lost? And I said, unfortunately, no. Yeah. And I, they still haven't won, by the way. They're still, they're, Americans are still not paying royalties. Yeah. You know, they, they, they pay for, I think it's 
I, I forget the exact number, but there's, there's a certain amount of gigs that they do pay for, right. and they're very big gigs, you know. Yeah. And I, how I know is because the Irish Tenors did a tour once, and I did get paid for it. Okay. At a time when they weren't paying me for their sales. And mm -hmm. it really, I, I can, I'd forgotten about that now, you know, but it was, I remember getting a check for five or six grand and said, Jesus, this is only for a few gigs, like, yeah. in America, you know? Yes. And, uh, and then, so, if you're outside that field, then you get nothing. Yeah, and that's when we're suffering off a lot of people who are very, very creative and who have done fantastic work and who others may have taken it. Um, that in effect their work, work is out there and they're not rewarded. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I mean, there's a, there's a, be a lot that's not getting paid, you know what I mean? Uh, the best thing to, I, I always tell people that the best thing to do is to hold on to your, to your copyright, you know? Right. And if you go on, if you feel you have to give it away, for instance, I remember Mick Hanley gave away his copyright for, um, the big song he had in America, you know, or in, in America, it was a t number two bestseller or something. Uh, whatever deal he did, again, like it wasn't a very good deal. Right, right. He, he'd given the publishing to an Irish publisher first. He went in and diluted it to an American publisher, right. who diluted it to another American right. publisher. A bit like Van Morrison, when he went to America, he sold Brown, uh, Brown Eyed Girl, which is his biggest seller ever. Yeah, yeah. Made millions upon millions, never got a penny of it. Yes, yeah. So, Johnny, let's get back to the book. So, you, you brought it out there about two years ago. So, it, it's expanding. I, I sent you a little thing, did I? By mistake. I know. Did I? No. You didn't get it in an email. Mm. I thought I sent you a card with a, a, a book cover, kind of. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Hold on, I need to keep track of time here on the, where I need to go and edit. <laughs> no. Um, that's fine. Um, no. Did I? No, no, no. Well, that's well, all right. Because I, thought I, I thought I was sending it to somebody yeah. else. But that's all right. So, anyway, you have the, the, it's outdoors, so you're, you have an event coming up. It's spanning. Um, up. When, did you, when did you put the final? The, when did you write the end? Uh, it was missing. Or oh, it was the end came after the. Um, there was a big referendum here a few years. Okay. Remember so and remember the the referendum on the um, the abortion issue. Yes. That's the final chapter, you know, because right. uh, I had written a song at that time and tried to get it played in RTE, and I was booked to actually go on a, a famous uh, show that goes out every Monday night, political program with. Um, What's the name again? One of the big presenters, anyway. Not Olivia? Or no, no. Or Ma, uh, or a very good-looking girl, actually. And I actually went to Dublin. I had the flu, and I went and recorded the song live in RT in the day, two days before it. Because right. they wanted to get a live version. That would have been Miriam McCallum, probably. Miriam McCallum. Okay. No, no, it's not Miriam McCallum either. It's the other... There's the Claire, not Claire Bourne. No, Claire Bourne. Claire. Okay. Claire. It was Claire. Her, her producer got in touch with me and said, would you, would you do this? And uh, would you want to read the chapter? Because I... I, I it's and I had to put this chapter in, and so once that was finished, and somebody taught me afterwards, they said, you made a mistake by doing it, because there was a lovely chapter before it, which I was going to go out on, which I'm sorry, no, I didn't actually right, do it. Right. It's just about a walk around this park that we're after coming from, right. with my granddaughter and having a chat about life, you know. And uh, it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. So, would you say then that over your life and your writing, that as an influencer, because you are an influencer in the words that you put on paper, that you're political. 
Oh, very much so, you know, and I've always been. I mean, the first song, I, I think, or one of the first songs that Christy recorded, it's called El Salvador. Yes. And I just wrote that after seeing a TV documentary and an RT, you know, I, and, but I had the melody for ages, and I, I had the melody for, I had words written to it, but I changed them when I saw the document, because I knew it would suit the melody. And I wrote it virtually in, an, in a few hours. And that was the sound that really pulled Christy into me. He, and when I, went, when I went to Dublin then to see him, I had already sent him another song called A Hundred Miles, which reminded him of his uncle. Right. And uh, that, that kind of got him interested then, right. you know. And of course the role of the, the folk music <coughs> is to reflect um, the current times. Yeah, and I, and that's why Christie partly, and I think he knows it himself. That's one of the reasons why he became so popular, yeah. is because he didn't just stick back in the past. Yeah. He realised, you know, that there's very there's good songwriters out there. If I could get them, and he at that stage he did. He went to the trouble of finding out. You know, he did a number of Jimmy McCarthy songs. He did, he did lots of other songwriters. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, so then, would you see that? You've gone through an evolution as well, from when you wrote the first song, or even from when you wrote the voyage to where you are today. In who, like I would say, you, your views would have changed as we, all, all our views change. Over. Well, my views have completely changed. Like since I was a kid, you know, when I went out on the road as a, a rock singer, you know, I mean, completely. I would, I, I, I often stay on stage, you know, I said, when I was 16, I arrived in London, you know, swing in London. This was yeah. in the height of the, the, the swing in 60s, like. Yeah. I said, the first club I played in was a place called the, um, uh, famous club, actually, the, 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 all the bands used to go there. And the first night we were in there, we were playing, we were booked to play and three people, three big stars walked straight across the gate. Jimi Hendrix walked right in front of us. I was only 16, like 17, I think. We'd just gone on 17. Okay. And we, just, we were about to start playing. Jimi Hendrix walked in with a bevy, a whole load of girls behind him, you know. Then Brian Jones from the Rolling Stones came in with his hat. Right. Uh, and he was wearing a fur coat, I'll never forget it. And then one of the candies. I think they were Canadians, were they? I think they were. Yeah. Oh, they were from North yeah. America or somewhere. But they were a lovely band, uh, lovely singer, you know. And it was the singer who came in. And, and I often say it, I said, within a year, all of them men were dead. Yeah. Yeah. From the madness that was going on. Yeah. I said, nobody really talks too much about the madness. In fact, a, a Canadian songwriter did. She was the first one. And I'm just after writing a chapter about, on her song, songs. Uh, it's Joni Mitchell, you know. I don't know if you know if you ever listen carefully to the song Blue. Now a lot of people don't listen yeah. that carefully to it, but really it's exposing everything about the madness of what was going on, you know. So much so that she played it to all these male songwriters at the time. Chris Christopherson was one of them, and he came out and he said, uh, and he said, this is on record, like. He said, uh, Johnny, you're exposing too much about everything in your, your lyrics. You're getting too, you know, you're going into your own personal life. and You know, you're going too far or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right? For me, that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I saw um, the music of Johnny Mitchell being danced to in ballet. Oh, yeah? 
Yeah, oh, I remember that. She, that she actually did a ballet, did she? she well, was there was the, I think it was the Winnipeg Ballet um, danced to, to her, song. her music. Yeah, yeah. And that was their last year with Fabulous. She must be on her last legs by this stage. I think she was not in the best of health. Yeah. And Brian Kennedy devoted one of his um, CDs to all her music as well. He did an album yeah. there, but two years ago. I spent a lot of time now writing. It's only a short chapter, you know. But I, and I, I base it on uh, the number of songs, each, I've done it, and in fact that's what the guy was ringing me about, you know, on my way out here. Uh, I've done another one on Dylan, and another one on Leonard Cohen, just, and most of them are on poets, because I'm often asked, who are your favourite songwriters, you know, and I say, it, it, I'm not really that influenced by songwriters, I'm more influenced by musicians, uh, when I say musicians, I mean Bach, Right. You know, I listen to a lot of classical music yeah. and I read an awful lot of poetry. Right. So this little book that I'm just at to finish in writing is all about the poets that have influenced me. Right. People like Philip Larkin, do you know him? No. He's an English poet. The best of his time, you know? Right. And there's, a, there's, there's one about uh, all the top American, Robert Frost, there's another right. one on him. There's one on T.S.C. Eliot, you know? That's why your man was saying, Jesus, you know, you want to have a very big audience for this. I said, well, I, I don't mind, you know, I didn't write it for a big audience. Like, but I just want to show where, where my thing is coming from, you know. Uh, and Joni was one of the ones that got in, like, you know. And I'm full of admiration for her. But I also am critical of some aspects of each one of them. You know, Dylan included, you know. Well, no one is perfect. No. And, and uh, because it's all written from one... You'd want to read it. I'll send it to you. Right, right. I'll send it to you. When, uh, there's a fellow polishing it up for me at the moment. Because right. I'm notorious for typos. And right. I left school when I was about 15. I've never caught up in spelling, you know. That type works. My wife was a teacher. I always says, Jesus, how? She says, it's all the small words that you pick up. <laughs> so... At this stage in your career, and um, you're you're not retired. You're someone in, in your career. Well, I, I, never, I never actually retired. said I said last year actually that I was going to retire from gigs. Yeah. But what I meant was uh, what I said at the time was I'm going to retire from organising tours. Right. Because I find it too hard. You know, every time I do, because I've always had to do it myself. You know, Christie has a manager. He is an agent. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have any manager or agent. So any time. I want to do a tour, and I did one earlier this year. I did about 12 gigs, I think. I even played up in the the National Concert Hall, not in the, the big hall, but in the smaller one. It right. holds about 250 people, and it was full. I was surprised myself, like because yeah. I don't go out that often. Yeah. You know? Pat Egan ran it. Okay. You know, so Pat is good promoter, you know. Yeah. And uh, but I, I I said that that's uh, I said I'm not doing this anymore because it's too hard, like yeah. you know. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of venues, you know, some, some of the venues work hard at trying to get a crowd. Others don't, right. you know. I've, I've discovered that. And I've discovered the ones that just don't do much work. And usually it could be in a town where they don't have a good relationship with their local radio station. Right. So the local radio station doesn't back them. Yes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the reason they don't back them is because they don't take out advertising with them. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of politics going Of course, on. of course. Um, uh, so I just got... I, I realized that it took so much effort to do it. Like right. every, And I've been doing that every year. Like I, 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 
I used to do about 15 gigs a year, but just to organize 15 gigs, like it was killing me. Like. I, I can, I can well imagine. Yeah. I can well imagine. So are you writing? Do you writing still? Oh, I'm constantly writing. You know, I, in fact, I just after I brought out my book in the summer, I said I was going to take it easy, and I went off for a holiday with the family over to Lanzarote, a strange island actually. I don't know if you were ever there. It's, it's a bit. Uh, everything is black over there because it's volcanic island. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go back there myself, no. Right. But when I got back, I said, I'm going to take a bit of a rest now, you know. And suddenly I got this idea for a new book. Yeah. Now, it took me 17 years to write The Voyage. That's how long I was doing it, off and on. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I was yeah. mainly on. And the way, it, the way it's written, each chapter is almost like a book in itself. It's just a, like a short story about a part of my life. And that way I could really focus down on it, you know. But it takes ages to do that. So they're written like short stories right. in the book. Uh, it's a pity I didn't bring a copy for you, you know. But it's a heavy one as well. I, I couldn't stick it in my pocket. Okay. But, uh, but this little one that I thought I was finished then, you know, I was going to take it easy. And the idea for this one came into my head and I, I was off again, you know. And I was getting up at four in the morning to try and get it into shape and it only took me three months of, of solid work and I just finished it the other day but Johnny when you say like that you know these are all labours of love at this stage oh yeah and absolutely so, you know? so like if you weren't doing that what would you be doing well I, I, if I wasn't doing that I, I'd probably you see that, that's another thing for three months now I've been away from singing almost right. you know because I've been flat out of it kind of you know and I, every I realized when I, I tried to work with Dolores again, that's what happened to her. She stopped singing. Yeah. Yes. When you stop singing and you don't use the muscles, yeah. you can even hear the tension in my voice now, you know. Right. Right. <coughs> I, I, I was singing, by the way, for two hours this morning, trying to get myself back into shape now for the gigs coming up. Right. Or for the gig coming up in... in uh, uh, but I said that to her. I said, that's how you've lost your voice, like, you know. Yeah. I bet you haven't been singing for the last few years, so all the muscles are contracted, kind yeah. of, you know. Yeah. I said, all you need to do to get back into shape, of course, I think she was drinking as well, you know. So, yeah. so like, when I say it in that sense that, you know, a lot of people who have a structured life, you know, they arrive at a certain age and they're given the gold watch and told goodbye and they don't know what to do with themselves but for somebody who's creative and who has been in a creative role all their life uh, it's just um, I won't quite say more of the same but you're in your own boss so you do it because you love it that's it I mean I, I, I really do I, I'm more passionate about it now than I ever was right and it's a strange thing to be that way like you know that's why I wanted to write this book to show how much I actually love it you yeah. know what I mean yeah. and a lot of people don't realize the amount of effort that goes into you know, I mean, I've studied all these poets that I'm writing about, and if I didn't do it in the kind of depth that I've done it, I wouldn't be able to write about them, That's you know? Right. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to... For instance, there's one about Randy Newman. Do you know Randy? Randy yes. Newman. Yes. He's a great songwriter. I mean, not only is he a great songwriter, but when we arrived in London, when we were bombarded, when we got a deal with Decca Records, we were bombarded with all these demos, we weren't writing songs at the time, so we were bombarded with demos from all these songwriters. And one of them happened to be the first 
uh, song that Randy sent out. Uh, I think it's going to rain. Do you ever hear that song? I can't say off the top of my head. I, just I think it's going to rain. I think it's one of the best right. songs of its type that's ever been written. Like, you know, right. there's an English, uh, there's an English drama. Uh, he's a BBC drama thing, and he brought out a, a program there, a series called uh, Broken, which yeah. is based on that one song, and the the, the, the actual song opens Broken Windows. And he took the word broken, yeah. and he, he has for, for a whole series about life in a in a working class area in the north of England, and it is a priest at the centre of it uh, who's trying to look after all these broken people that are you know the, because of what's going on in England. When you mention broken windows, now I know that the lyrics are coming back to me for that. Yeah, yeah. the fabulous yeah. lyrics, you yeah. know. Yeah. But we were offered that song when we arrived there, and we turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was, I, I actually, I sing it every Sunday now. You know, I, I'm, I sang it this morning about three times, just to, to remind myself how good it is. Right, right. And it's a fabulous song. But when, when I finished the essay that I wrote on it about Randy, I also included this guy, who I have, the, Jimmy McGovern. He's called. He's from Liverpool. He's a Liverpoolian, but he's Irish. Jimmy McGovern, like it's an Irish name, you know. Yes. yes. And uh, I wrote to him, and I, I sent him a copy, and he wrote back, and he said, "Jesus," he said, "That's brilliant." He said, "He was over the moon." He said, uh, "That's the best analysis." He said of, of a song. <laughs> he said, "Do you mind if I send it to the main actor?" You know, and the guy is he's actually in. Uh, I was going to write back and say, do you mind if I use this? But I didn't. I hate, I, I'd hate to be trying to capitalize on right. it. I was just delighted that he liked it, you know. But he gave me, when he said that, I said, Jesus, that kind of spurred me on to write about other, other uh, people that I've been influenced by, yeah. you know. So if you were to look back, would you do anything different? It's a strange thing, but at this stage, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, I, I've gone through hell, like, yeah. you know, I've, I've gone through years of wondering, how did I, you know, how is a Christie can go out for, you know, fill halls for 2,000 people and get paid? Uh, and I'm, I often sh show up at gigs and nobody turns up, yeah. you know? Uh, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, and I, w I wouldn't swap with him either. Because no, he's had his own hell. Yeah, he, he's, he's had his own life, like, yeah. and I've had my life. Yeah. And, and I, I really like it. In fact, reading about Shakespeare and all, I never knew, but the reason Shakespeare gave up writing at the end, according to this woman, and she studied him to the hilt, she said he was only 56 or 54 or something. But she said it was too dangerous. He was a Catholic in Protestant England at the time. He was working for the crown. Yeah. He was actually employed. He used to put on his plays for the king of England, like. Yeah. And he brought out a few that were really dodgy, like, because yeah. he always had mixed messages in them for his own community. Right. You know, he was trying to tell them that they were being harassed, they were being murdered, mm -hmm. left, right and centre, like, you know, after the Reformation. And he was trying to get at this, these messages, coded messages, across to keep, keep the spirits up, like, you know. Right, right. But they, according to her, he just went a bit too far, so they said, retire or else. Right. To hell or to Canada. So he retired, right, right? And he died soon after, actually. You know, yeah. uh, it must have been—I don't know. I've read a lot of different stories about why, you know, what he was up to after he retired. 
but I can't imagine someone as passionate as he was about writing you know it must have killed him like you know yeah. and yet the kind of writing that he was doing for the stage you needed you needed a company as well as everything else correct yeah well it's like you what you're writing you need to you need to perform yeah your music has to be performed yeah. no Johnny we should wrap up I'd say we were yeah. out of time it's been an honour and a real privilege it's been great chatting with you and I want to thank you for taking the time and spending it with us and uh, I look forward to being able to share your music with the listeners great um, lovely as time goes on we, we'll share it regularly 